From the long, long ago comes the moaning of the desert wind. And with it comes the story of Ghost Town. Whoa, this is Ellen Bell for Vintage Orange on KUCI 88.9 FM, and welcome to our show today. That sounded uh, decidedly scarier than the place really is. That was an ad from 1952 advertising uh, Ghost Town, which is a, has been a fixture here in Orange County, part of Knott's Berry Farm, one of our beloved amusement parks and just, uh, I don't know, county historical places. And so today we're going to be talking about the historic ghost town portion of Knott's Berry Farm, which is celebrating its 75th anniversary this summer, which is just really kind of hard to believe that it's been there that long. But it opened in 1941 as part of the Knott's Berry Place uh, Chicken Dinner Restaurant. And uh, like any place here in Orange County, it has a story associated with it. So to help me tell you the story, I've invited my friend uh, Phil Brigandi, who is an Orange County author and historian, to tell the story of Knott's Berry Farm farm. So Phil, thanks for being here to talk about Knott's Berry Farm. And you know, like any interesting and iconic place in Orange County, it has a story behind it. And not everybody may be familiar with the story behind the place. And Knott's Berry Farm is one of those places. And so let's go back. Um, How did Knott's Berry Farm get started? Well, you mean as a berry farm? Yeah, let's go back to the berry farm, because I think that's the genesis of the whole thing. Absolutely. So Walter Knott and his family came to Buena Park at the end of 1920 to grow berries on their berry farm. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was really the uh, depression that forced them to start branching out. They had been just in the berry business, but it slowly grew and you started having jams and jellies and pies and things and... Then they, in 1928, opened a little a little tea room, mm-hmm. as they said, because Cordelia Knott always made it clear she did not want to be in the restaurant business. Right. And so it was the tea room, and you could get pie and ice cream and sandwiches and buy berries or buy the rootstock to grow your own berries. Right. And, and it was right there off of Beach Boulevard, and so they had a lot of traffic, and but things continued to be uh, tough as the Depression wore on. Right, and they didn't have a lot of money, the Knots themselves. I mean, they were basically, uh, as, as many people were that era, were just doing everything they possibly could to, to survive, right? Yes, and so Cordelia agreed to expand the menu of her Nata restaurant, <laughs> and in 1934 added fried chicken dinners. Yeah, so tell me about that story. Now, she didn't want to have a restaurant. She didn't have any ambitions at all to be selling chicken dinners. And yet, on this one Sunday, was it Sunday in June or something, she served eight of them, right? On her wedding china. Yeah. yeah. And and everything in those early days cooked in her home kitchen because the house was right behind 
behind the little market building with the tea room in it. And the girls, the daughters, were the waitresses, and that was, uh, that, that clicked for them. And coincidentally, 1934 is also the year that Walter Knott first put the boysenberry on sale. Yeah, so tell me a little bit about the boysenberry, because this is definitely another um, iconic part of Knott's Berry Farm, something that comes out of there. What's the story behind that? Well, the berry was originally developed, as you could guess, by a man named Boysen, (laughs) Rudy Boysen, who was, at that time, the uh, park superintendent in Anaheim in the 1930s. But in the 1920s, he had been up in Napa where he was experimenting with propagating new berry varieties. And he had crossed at one point a blackberry, a loganberry, and a raspberry and got these really big, sweet, juicy berries that shipped well. Mm-hmm. You've got to think about that, too, when right. you're farming. And he'd started to work on it and then kind of left it behind. And the whole thing had been basically forgotten and abandoned until uh, someone from the U.S. Department of Agriculture came looking for him and enlisted Walter Knott in the search. Mm-hmm. And they found Boysen, and there were a few surviving plants on Boysen's in-laws' property that the family didn't even own anymore. Wow. And so Walter Knott took some of these berries back to the farm and nursed them back to health, and two years later introduced them and named them the Boysenberry in honor of... Rudolph Boysen. Well, so, so 1934, you get both the introduction of the boysenberry and the first chicken dinners. Do you think that now, was were the boysenberries his primary crop at that point, or was it all just different berries? No, no, just no. One of the varieties. Been, he had been looking for a new variety. They okay. had tried several, they'd grown blackberries for a while, young berries were the big crop, and, and ironically, he had been, at the same time, that he met up with boys, and he had been looking for a new variety. He had been buying rootstock from all over the world, mm-hmm. and the boysenberry that just fell into his lap <laughs> was the best of all these new berries and really built the reputation. And today, all the boysenberries in the world descend from that original crop that Walter rescued right there on, in the, Buena Park. on the berry farm. And and that and the chicken dinners brought in the crowds, and that leads to the next phase in all this, because even though they kept expanding the restaurant, excuse me, the tea room, they needed a, something for people to do while they were waiting in line. Right, so you'd have all these people coming in there, throngs of them coming in to, to be able to have the chicken dinners in this tiny little tea room, like you said, and so they'd be waiting, and so his solution was to do what? Well, to start adding attractions, and so there were rock gardens, and there were displays of old music boxes, or um, (laughs) Walter's son, Russell, collected, was a rock hound, and one of the things he collected was fluorescent rocks, so there was a little room you could go in and flip a black light switch and they would glow all their different colors and they built a replica of one of the fireplaces from George Washington's house at Mount Vernon. Okay. And then the the wildest one, the first bit of whimsy in all this, in 1939 they expanded the restaurant yet again. Mm-hmm. And 
right outside the window now was a big concrete standpipe about eight feet tall that was part of the irrigation system okay on the farm and you couldn't move it you couldn't take it out so walter not had this brainstorm why not turn it into a volcano <laughs> naturally <laughs> that's a logical thing and to do but uh, well walter would have said you 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 leave yourself conscious to work on a problem and it'll come up with an answer for you. <laughs> and they bought lava rock from out on the desert and piled it up around and and put in a steam pipe and some lights and then someone built a little model of a devil in a box who would turn a crank that would make it erupt and there'd be sound and steam and lights and you had a volcano outside the restaurant there was this something that was typical at that time about restaurants or roadside attractions, so to speak? Oh, sure. <clears throat> sure. This was the day when, you know, traveling by automobile was mm -hmm. still a bit of an adventure, and there were all sorts of little roadside attractions with all sorts of exhibits, you know, everything from the world's largest ball of twine right. to trees of mystery up in Santa Cruz. So would this be like the mystery spot where you'd walk in in the house, everything would be on its tilt and you'd be falling over? This would be kind of that same period of time? It is, and interestingly, Knott's later had their own version, <laughs> yeah, the haunted shack mm -hmm. of a crooked house like that. But there's another aspect, too, because one of the other things that Walter bought, also in 1939, was an old California stagecoach. Okay. And so you start to see the western side coming into this. And that, why would that have been important to him? Well, Walter not came from real pioneer ancestors. His grandparents had come across... Uh, the prairies in the 1860s when his mother was a little girl mother was just a child and made the long trip to california and he had grown up and spent a lot of time with his pioneer grandmother especially and hearing her stories mm -hmm. and thinking about that life and of course having pioneered himself in some ways you know mm -hmm. before he'd come to buena park he had farmed a number of places he'd been a homesteader out on the desert and so he felt a connection to that pioneer life, and he wanted to, to share that. He thought, particularly coming out of the Depression, which, remember, was not just an economic depression. It was, in another sense, depressing right. for people. Yes. America was having problems, and he wanted to remind people not only of what the pioneers had done, but what we could do today. Mm-hmm that Americans could accomplish things and get over hard times. And so the, uh, the original idea that leads to Ghost Town was to do what's, well, the fancy word is a cyclorama. It's something Walter had seen at a World's Fair at one point, where you have a big curved painted backdrop and a set in, built in front of it, in this case, a covered wagon and oxens coming across the desert. And with lights and recorded sound, you would tell the story of the pioneers crossing the, crossing so the desert. So would anything move on the cyclorama, or it was just really... No, it's a set piece. It's a set piece. Okay, so you're just... It's a yeah. stationary thing. But the lights lights would change. Okay. You know, the, the day would fall, and the stars would come up in the sky, and you would hear voices and sound effects that was all recorded. Mm -hmm. And so the original idea was to build a cyclorama and do what 
came to be called the Covered Wagon Show. And then, of course, you have to put that somewhere. So they thought, well, let's build an old Western-style building to put it in. And then they took the next step of, well, let's go find an old building or parts of an old building and actually build it in part out of historic materials. You know, you don't... um, and they actually brought in material from Arizona to build, and then from there, so you're now going to have one old Western building, then it turned into a whole street of Western buildings. So he started to kind of actively collect these old vintage ghost town buildings, right? Right, Um, or parts of them more Mm -hmm. often. Mm -hmm. So you buy, you know, obviously the framing and the roofing, but you bought the doors, you bought the windows, you bought the, the fancy cut work on them and the detail work and sometimes they would then start with you know a little shed off a farm somewhere there in Buena Park but by the time they'd put together all these parts of real historic buildings you had this whole new look and he had an artist working with him and they laid out this first street and had what was not just a western town but a ghost town Okay. So it was built to look dilapidated. It was built to look run down, but had the different types of buildings. The hotel was where the covered wagon show was. Then you had a blacksmith shop, and you had an assay shop, and a Chinese laundry, the sheriff's shop, the sheriff's office, the livery stable. And then, and Cordelia kind of objected to this. Oh, she did? You had... um, Forgive me, a cat house. You oh, Goldie. <laughs> oh, that's what she Goldie's place, <laughs> which was based on an original building from Bodie. And Walter argued that you can't do a Western mining town without a house for the, <laughs> the, the working girls. But to make it fair, out back was the jail. Okay. And uh, and so they in 1941 they opened not ghost town ghost town village they originally called it and this became the ultimate way for people to wait and spend their time waiting for the restaurant or just come to visit ghost town to watch the covered wagon show and some of the other activities there do you know if they charged admission to it so this was just like a you know open park area so if you lived in Buena Park you could just come over there and check it out even even into my time there was no admission charged at Hmm. times they didn't uh, they didn't uh, wall in the park and start charging admission till the late 1960s okay so it was truly just a part of the the chicken dinner restaurant correct Mm mm-hmm correct and a way to to bring people in Wow. And so when you when people would go there in 1941, when it first opened up, um, did they have the little peek-ins that they have, the kind of the, when you look in the little store and you see a mannequin inside? Oh, yeah. Um, so that was all part of the original display? And the, Yes, and they brought in a wood carver to make all of the figures that are in there, Sad-Eye Joe in the jail and Hopsing in his, uh, in his laundry. And uh, then there were some other things that went in there was an old-time photo gallery where you could get your picture taken and uh, and then they started having characters old western guys wandering the streets and talking to the visitors and taking photos with them and doing little performances and so there was they've brought this back now for the anniversary there was this whole 
life to ghost town with all of these different performers, men and women who made the <laughs> uh, work there at Knott's portraying old-time Western characters. And so Knott's Berry Farm really had, I mean, the, the, the quaint thing about Knott's Berry Farm and the lovely thing that you can still see some of this, and they're celebrating their 75th anniversary this summer, but it, it just has this kind of a backyard theme park kind of feel to it. I mean, you get away from all of the... the um, the roller coasters and all of the things that have been built up since then. But, you know, you have this feel like it's, hey, let's put on a show. You know, let's get the family together and let's get, you know, our neighbors to put on cowboys costumes. And, you know, it was a very uh, kind of a quaint, um, almost an intimate kind of a theme park experience, would you say? it was kind of organic to to mix a metaphor. Though there's an interesting element, too, to most theme parks – not just that big one in Anaheim, <laughs> there's an element of reality to knots. In other words, as things grew, they so they built a little post office building, and eventually they applied to Washington, and it was an actual U.S. branch post office. Okay. Functioning, and they built an old-fashioned grist mill where you could go and buy freshly ground grain. It was an operational uh, grist mill. So, so who was the, was was Walter not the the passion beyond this? I mean, who, was he really the force behind, oh. behind this whole operation? Yes, I mean, none of it could have been done without Cordelia and what she was doing on the, uh, on the restaurant side, but Walter had, first of all, a determination. If he decided he was going to do something, mm-hmm. he would just set a goal and stick with it he would write it on a piece of paper and you know put it in front of his desk. He always said he wrote one day on a piece of paper, "We will build a replica of Independence Hall." And yep. it took years, but he stuck with it and did it. He's a guy who did not back off. And the other thing that strikes me about Walter is he was just kind of a natural-born promoter, mm-hmm. a booster. He understood maybe it's growing up in Southern California. He just understood that you had to go out and hustle. Yeah. And he would have told you, incidentally, that they were not in the restaurant business. They were not in the amusement park business. They were in the people business. Mm-hmm. And so it was what did the public want? When Disneyland came along, they had to, they, they surveyed visitors to Knott's Berry Farm. What do you want? And they wanted more rides and attractions. Up till that time, you just had the train, obviously, they had the stagecoach. But coming out of the late 50s, you see more rides and attractions culminating in 1960 with the Calico Mine Ride. Right. Bud Hurlbut's first great amusement park ride, theme park ride, whatever mm-hmm. you want to call it. It's, in the business, I understand it's a dark ride because yeah. you're inside, <laughs> yes. not just because you're in a mine. But that was Walter Knott saying, well, what do the public want? Yeah. Give them because they were in the people business. So he had a little bit of P.T. Barnum in him. Well, I don't know about <laughs> P.T. Barnum, but he he didn't even hire a publicist until the 1950s. Yeah, it was just the, for the farm. Yeah, just kind of very much his own. You know, how how are we going to sell this? And yeah, he's a he's a fascinating guy. He's much more than the usual image that a lot of people have the stereotype of Walter Knott as this sort of dour old uber conservative farmer 
he was very creative, he was imaginative, and and by the way, had profit sharing for his employees, had health care for his employees. He just didn't want the government to tell him he had to do that. Yeah. Yeah, that's no, he, the difference with someone like Walter Knott. He uh, he definitely was this wonderful combination of a pragmatist and, uh, like you said, a very hardworking, disciplined individual with goals and and perseverance. But he was also equal parts dreamer. I mean, he he was able to think outside the box and just imagine, just you know, like you said, turning a irrigation pipe into a volcano. Yeah, you know, he he had that wonderful combination to make those dreams come true. And, uh, you know, I think it's a wonderful example of that over at Knott's Berry Farm. So if if I'm going to be coming this summer, I'm going over to Knott's Berry Farm because I want to see the new Ghost Town Alive 75th anniversary, which is wonderful because they have renovated it and they have brought back the live entertainers. So you go there and they're, at least for this summer, they're going to be walking around and you can interact with people in this western town. But what would you say is the thing that, you know, what's the signature Knott's Berry Farm experience if somebody hasn't been in a long time what would you suggest that they do well besides making sure you stop by to have a chicken dinner yeah (laughs) that's number one absolutely what i always say to people is you can ride the new rides but then you have to go do something old okay so if you want to go ride uh, ghost rider which they just reopened Mm -hmm. the roller coaster there then go ride the train and right. if you want to go do Silver Bullet, that's fine. Then go take the mine ride or the log ride. And definitely spend some time in Ghost Town, uh, especially, you know, make that kind of your first stop, not just symbolically, but before the park gets a little busier when the streets aren't as full in Ghost Town. You can walk around and you'll see more and notice more. Go watch, see what they're making at the blacksmith shop or And, of course, if you have friends who've not been before, make sure to take them to visit Sad-Eye Joe in the jail so they can (laughs) wonder how on earth Sad-Eye Joe knows their name and can talk to them. (laughs) The amazing wonders. I know. It still works. I take the nieces and nephews there, and they can't (laughs) figure it out yet, and I'm not going to tell them. See? You know, you don't have to have the latest holographic technology or whatever you're seeing. You could just, you know, take them to Sad-Eye Joe and just amaze your friends Mm -hmm. with technology that's been around for years. Since (laughs) Well, thank Thank you so much, Phil Brigandi, for being with me. I really appreciate your time. And um, you definitely, if anything, I'm very hungry for a boysenberry pie. I got to go over there and get a slice of that pie. I could use a little of the cherry rhubarb. Okay. <laughs> but thank you so much. And uh, definitely, this is the summer to, to revisit Knott's Berry Farm and, and revisit Ghost Town, a true relic and a treasure that we have here in Orange County. So thank you very much. You're very welcome. Yes, thank you to Phil Brigandi, uh, Orange, one of Orange County's best authorities on history, all things history. And if you want to find out some more things or read some of what Phil has written, you can check out my website, www.vintageorangekuci.blogspot.com. You can also find the link on the KUCI.org website. Uh, but check it out. You'll find some things if you want to learn a little bit more about Knott's Berry Farm and other things in Orange County. So thank Thank you to Phil once again. And yes, this summer is the perfect time to get out there. Check out Ghost Town Alive. I will be doing that, uh, checking out and, and revisiting the chicken dinner restaurant that just has been recently remodeled and is open there. So if you
if you want to see what things were like in the good old days, <laughs> or at least just the old days, uh, go out to Knott's Bray Farm and, and visit something, like Phil said, visit something new, but make sure you check out something old as well. So for KUCI 88.9 FM, this is Vintage Orange, and my name is Ellen Bell. Thank you for joining me, and I will see you next week. Now to send us off, we've got another vintage radio ad for Knott's Berry Farm. This one aired around 1960. Uh, It's a little vintage in the style, but I think the sentiment is still the same. Like living the days of the old West or a real ghost town with a general store at Knott's Berry Farm. There are thrills galore. Come to the farm real soon. Knott's Berry Farm in Buena Park is open every day from morn past dark for fun and play a family lark. Come to the farm real soon. Thrill to the wonders of the Calico Mine when the kids run the pearls, their eyes will shine. This is Knott's Fried Chicken. Tastes just fine. Come to the farm real soon. There's more to see than any song can explain. Some folks plan their visit to Knott's Berry Farm a full year in advance, and they come here from all over the world. But you don't have to wait for a vacation or even a weekend. Knott's is open every day of the week till nine each night. Come to Knott's Berry Farm real soon.